Hello, and welcome to The Mastering Show. My name is Ian Shepherd. I'm a mastering engineer, and I run the production advice website aimed at helping you get the best out of recording, mixing, and mastering your music. And with me, as always this week, is my co-host, John Tidy. John, how are you doing? How was your Christmas? Hey, Ian. Good to be here again. Uh, Christmas was great. Bit of a blur already, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool. Okay, so this episode, we want to talk about something we've talked about before, which is loudness. We've done, I mean, we've talked about it a lot. We've done two complete dedicated episodes on loudness, and we've talked about it a ton of times in lots of other episodes. But I think there are still uh, quite a few people out there who are not feeling comfortable with the topic of loudness, especially with loudness units. Um, LU. And uh, so the goal of this is to just provide a kind of a simple introduction to the topic uh, so that to get anybody up to speed. And then once we kind of have got a good basis of the topic of loudness and hopefully kind of people are feeling a bit more confident, I also want to talk about a a common misconception that's going around at the moment, which is that uh, in order to get everything to sound great online, you should master everything at minus 14 LUFS or some other loudness value. People might be surprised for me to say that that's not true. That's not what I recommend. So we're also going to talk about what I do recommend and what I think is going to give you the best possible results uh, mastering your music for online as well. Um, so if you're already a loudness aficionado, you might want to skip this and go for one of the one of the other nerdier episodes. I'm sure there will be some interesting little bits and pieces in here, but we want to try and keep it as simple as possible. Um, and I'm relying on John to prevent me from wandering off into the weeds in this topic. John, we were talking just before we started, and you were kind of saying that, I can't remember what expression you used. It's, it's like sometimes you think you've completely got the topic, and then suddenly you haven't. Yeah, I mean, is, yeah, is like, it still like that? Like I understand it. I can use it. And then I'll see something, or someone asks a question in a certain way, and it's like, I second guess. And maybe I don't really understand it. So a refresher is always good. And the other thing is that I use it specifically for the work that I need to do. And when someone is asking a question that's outside of that, sometimes I get confused like with the guidelines that they need for their particular task. I may not know everything I need to know about the topic. Yeah, I find the same. I mean, I think I have a pretty good grasp of it overall. But even so, yeah, you can be trying to explain it to somebody and suddenly get lost. Or even so, it's it's kind of such a simple subject but it's got so many little detailed bits to be concerned with i mean i think the thing that i wanted to say to start with is that well i mean part of the reason for all of this is that loudness is not that simple it's not even that simple to measure um there have been various different ways of trying to do it over the years and i think the one thing we can say is that the peak meter that your daw displays pretty much every daw ever uh, every digital recording system has had a peak meter and those are pretty much useless for giving you any information about loudness Um, and the the example i always like to give is if you compare something uh, with a a load of transient information in it like say an extreme example would be a gunshot or a snare hit which has a huge spike at the beginning of the sound and then decays very quickly Um, if you ever listen to just a a raw record, if you ever try recording a gunshot yourself, you'll find that in order to stop the levels going right over zero and just distorting wildly, 
once you've turned the, the gain on the mic or the preamp down enough so that you can record it cleanly, when you play it back, it sounds more like a like somebody clapping their hands. So a really sharp transient impact and then decays very quickly. If you compare that with a very sustained sound, like say uh, a string pad or a Hammond organ sound or a, even something like a flute playing, uh, that's a very sustained, steady sound with very little transient impact. If you match the peak level of those two sounds, you will find that the flute sound is much, much louder than the snare or the, the gunshot. And that basically shows you that the peak level is hopeless at matching loudness. Um, so you need something better than that if you want to try and get a handle on, obviously, recorded loudness. We're talking about the recorded sounds. We did uh, another episode where we talked about the difference between being loud and sounding loud. Um, so we're talking about recording levels when we talk about loudness in this way. There's a whole other kind of aspect of the topic, which is what makes things sound loud to us, like things like distortion and uh, maybe reverb if you're in a, an acoustic space, all of those kind of things. So we won't touch on those in this episode. We're just going to stick with this topic of trying to measure loudness and, and the best way to do it. So before I go any further, does that make sense? Explaining that the peak has pretty much no information about loudness in it? It does to me, and and that's pretty much what I've experienced. I see a lot of people trying to normalize their tracks before they start mixing or mastering. And if they're using the peak level, then it's it's not even close. May as well not even do it. Yeah, exactly. And again, just before we started recording, you mentioned that it, it still kind of weirds you out a bit sometimes to have a song that sounds loud, but where the peak level is nowhere near zero. Yeah, or or when the loudness reading is higher than I might want, so I have to turn it down in mastering. And then the peak level is nowhere near, you know, the minus one that we like to have things. Right. And so I'm going to avoid going into too much detail on that. On, about that, but that's exactly what we're talking about, right? That's just because, you know, we're used to seeing these peak meters, it's very tempting. And I mean, there's a general correspondence, right? It, it kind of in a, on a broad set terms, if the peak level is high, the sound is likely to be louder than if the peak level is low. But there are plenty of cases where that's not the case. Um, and to measure loudness effectively, I think we, we need something more reliable. And that's where the loudness unit came from, basically. Um, now, we're not going to go into a huge amount of detail about how the loudness units work. I think one thing to kind of, that people find helpful just to start with is to say that one loudness unit, one LU, uh, is the same as one dB. And when I say it's the same as one dB, what I mean is, let's say you measure a sound and it comes out as minus 14 loudness units, full scale, that's LUFS, just like we have dB full scale, dB FS. If you have one sound that's at, say, minus 14, and then another one that is at minus 12, if you turn the one at minus 12 down by 2 dB, and then you remeasure it, you'll find it's at minus 14 LU. And the same thing applies. Boost it by 6 dB, it will get 6 LU louder. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of one thing that I think helps make things simpler. Um, another thing that might be useful is if the, anybody has used an RMS meter, that was kind of the previous best way of measuring loudness that we had. Um, if the EQ is balanced, if you have a kind of broadly similar amount of bass, mid and top uh, in the signal, 
then you will find that the RMS and the LUFS loudness readings or level readings are pretty much the same. So just to take an example, if you have pink noise, say, at minus 14 LUFS, it's also going to be at roughly minus 14 RMS on a on a digital meter. Um, so anybody who's kind of used to judging things with an RMS meter should find it pretty easy to cross over to LUFS. The way that they're different is that LUFS tries to take account of the fact that our ears are more sensitive in the mid-range, basically. I mean, if, if you just try an experiment where you crank up say 2K on pretty much any instrument, it will start to get painfully loud quite quickly. You know, you probably only, if, if, if you're listening to it fairly loud already, you probably only have to add two or three dBs at that kind of frequency for something to start becoming uncomfortable to listen to. Whereas probably you could comfortably boost three or six dBs much lower down or much higher up. It's not necessarily going to sound good, but you've probably got a lot more leeway. And that is because our ears are most sensitive in this mid-range frequency. And that's probably an evolutionary thing to do with where the most of the pitch information in the human voice is, or maybe even to do with the sound of babies crying. I don't know whether, you know, it's difficult to know how much of that is is certain, but it, it's, it's definitely a fact. John, have you ever tried comparing RMS and LUFS and seen any differences? I don't think I have. I RMS was something that's probably just as confusing, even though it's been around for longer. <laughs> I think RMS was just as confusing to figure out because um, going back to normalizing, I've tried normalizing things to, I don't know, let's say minus six, and then it's like distorted and it sounds terrible. Uh, and then you need totally different numbers, especially if you're used to thinking about peak level. Yeah, now, okay, so that's an interesting point, right? Um, Maybe we should pause on that for a second. So one way to think about the peak level is that it basically tracks the outline of the waveform, which is tracking the voltage in the wire that's carrying the audio signal. Um, So, yeah, if, if, if you were able to kind of zoom in on a waveform fast enough and have it track across the screen fast enough in your DAW and also keep an eye on the peak meter, you would see them follow each other very closely. Whereas if you look at either LUFS loudness units or RMS on a meter, you'll see something very different. The the meters tend to move much more slowly and they tend to be low or they are almost always lower. The only exception to that is is a pure sine wave. So if you looked at an RMS meter or a loudness unit uh, meter, an LUFS meter, those measurements look very different. They move more slowly, they move more smoothly than the peak reading, um, and they tend to be much lower. And that's because they are designed to measure something that's closer to the power of the music rather than the peak voltage level that's happening in the wire. So it's just one of those things that the the RMS and the LUFS levels tend to be lower than the peak levels. So yeah, I mean, I agree. It's confusing in the first place because you have two different numbers, both of which are supposed to be measuring the level of your audio. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so that's the difference between the loudness units or the RMS measurements of a piece of audio at the peak level. But if you compared RMS with LUFS, you'd see a more subtle difference. I mean, I said that they tend to be similar when the EQ balance is similar. And that's 
like I say, because the loudness units are trying to take the different sensitivities of our ears at different frequencies into account. So just to take an example, if you had a sound that has lots and lots of bass and you measure it with an RMS meter and an LUFS meter, the RMS meter will read higher because the RMS meter is not compensating for the sensitivity of our ears, whereas the LUFS meter is. Because our ears are more sensitive in the mid-range, they are less sensitive to bass, so that an LUFS meter will read lower for the same signal when it's got proportionally more bass in it. If you turn it around the other way, if you have a, a sound that has lots and lots of mid-range content, an LUFS meter will read higher than the RMS meter on the same thing, because the RMS meter is just working on the, the kind of the raw voltage, if you like, in the original audio signal, whereas the LUFS meter is trying to compensate for the way that our ears hear the sound. And that's why they're valuable. Anybody who's used a, a traditional needle-style VU meter um, will know that if you have something with lots of bass content, very often the needles will peg, even though the levels are roughly where you want them to be. And that's because a VU meter is even more sensitive to bass than an RMS meter. Um, but it's the, it's the same thing. Uh, and that So it, it's not a case that one is better than the other. It's just that the LUFS meter, in my experience, is more useful. Let's say you measure the overall loudness of two songs. Uh, they might sound the same to our ears, but one of them might have a lot more bass than the other. The RMS meter is going to tell you that that song is way louder than actually it kind of feels to us when we listen to it, whereas the LUFS meter is going to take the fact that there's plenty of bass in it into account and give us uh, an overall figure that is kind of matches what we hear more closely. How does that help? I think that makes sense. Um, they're just to guide us. They're not not really the rule um, because the content actually matters. Even with the LUFS meter, it takes into account the mid-range sensitivity that we have, but our content could be the opposite of what we want for that. Maybe? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. The, 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 it's, it's just another uh, thing that is there to help us. And just like any meter, you have to learn how to read what it's telling you and to interpret it to a certain extent. Okay, so if you tried to use an LUFS meter to balance the level of a synth bass line with a banjo. <laughs> so short, progressive sounds versus probably a, a longer sustained high RMS sort of tone. A higher, yeah, higher RMS. Probably and, distorted and tone versus... Thin, plucky, clean sound. Exactly. Um, that I mean, I've, I haven't tried that experiment. That might work, but it might not work. But there's no point in getting upset with the numbers if they don't match your ears because they're such different sounds. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a, you need to be comparing like with like. And that's why I always say if you have a balanced EQ, I mean, anybody who's listened to any episodes of the show knows that getting a balanced EQ response is a huge part of mastering. It's just as important as getting the loudness right. So it kind of goes without saying, but yeah, the, in my experience with a with a, a well balanced master, LUFS corresponds very well to what I hear with my ears. Like literally within, you know, I'll match something by ear and then I'll measure it on an LUFS meter, and it's usually within half a dB um, in terms of the the overall the integrated reading that it's giving me. Um, 
but that probably wouldn't be the case with the, with the example I just gave the, the banjo versus the synth bass. You know that I could imagine that not working as well. Um, let's pause for a second and just I think all of this stuff is hard to understand in theory. And another thing that people say to me is that they like the idea of loudness units. Um, they want to get involved in this stuff, and they just really have no idea where to start. So I want to recommend. Uh, I mean, if you're a Mac user, there's a free application that you can download. And we'll put a link to this in the show notes at themasteringshow.com. Uh, it has a really snappy name, which is R128X-GUI. Uh, GUI stands for Graphical User Interface. Um, this is a free piece of software that's kind of a community-driven piece of software. And um, Like lots of these things, uh, the first versions you get, you have to use by kind of typing commands into the, the terminal in the computer. It's pretty uh, unfriendly uh, from a user's point of view. But this version, R128X-GUI, does have, you know, you run it and you have a window. And you basically just drag your files in and it will measure the loudness for you. And it tells you the program loudness, which is the integrated loudness, which is an overall loudness figure for the whole file. It tells you the true peak level, which is basically the peak level, the maximum peak level that the, is reached by the file. True peak is just an oversampled version of normal peak level that we're all used to, so it's even more accurate. Uh, and it tells you the loudness range, which loudness range is an attempt to give you an idea of the contrast between the loud and the quiet sections. I don't find it fantastically use, useful for music, so I think we'll kind of put that to one side for now. But if anybody wants to download that and just try dragging a load of files in and then listening to them and thinking, well, how does that number correspond with what I'm hearing? That's a pretty good way to get started and get an idea of of how these uh, loudness figures work. I it's also available on PC, but I'm not sure if there's a version with the the actual user interface that I mentioned. But there are plenty of other. I mean, Reaper has a a loudness measurement extension. Is that right? It's part of the SWS extension, which most users will probably have already. Just type in loudness into the action list, and you can analyze the loudness. Okay, cool. And that's. Um, that's a free extension, right? If you already have Reaper, which is really affordable anyway. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, Isotope, even if you only get Reaper just to use that, Reaper can be used for free um, with the demo, no restrictions. SWS extension is also free. Just put it into the user plugins folder, relaunch Reaper, and it'll pop up. Right, great. Um, if you have Isotope RX, um, you can go to the... It's, I think it's called Show Statistics. Waveform like statistics. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, there's a it's a it's a menu item at the top. There's a loudness module, but uh, the waveform statistics kind of gives you all kinds of interesting stuff. Um, well, I find it interesting. <laughs> it's not um, interesting, Ian. <laughs> no, okay, but it is the integrated loudness. Number. Exactly, which is what you're looking for. Integrated loudness, program loudness. That's an overall loudness value for the whole track. Are those interchangeable terms? Program and and integrated. Great question. As far as I'm aware, they are. Yes. Um, there may be there, there may be a subtle distinction between the two. Um, I, I usually talk about integrated loudness. I'm mentioning program loudness because that's what it's called in this free app that I just said. Most applications say integrated loudness. Okay. And you can get the same thing if you have a loudness and LUFS meter. I mean, and lots of DAWs now have it. I mean, uh, the latest versions of Pro Tools have it. Cubase has it. Logic has a loudness meter. Does Reaper have a loudness meter built in? 
No, just in the extension. <gasps> There's a jink in Reaper's armor. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> There's probably a plug-in, um, but I, there's so many like, there's so many other like third-party ones that I already have. Yeah, that I'm, absolutely. Them. I mean, there, there's there's a ton of really affordable ones. There are commercial ones like the Elcast that uh, meter plugs make. Um, that there are plenty of loudness meters out there, and you can get the integrated loudness from any of those just by um, inserting the the plug-in or calling up the meter and playing the music from beginning to end. That's what the the program loudness or the integrated loudness gives you is this overall figure. You'll see it moving around quite a bit to start with, and then it'll kind of pretty, probably settle down on a value after a while. Um, it, that's, it's just slower. The nice thing about having something like RX or the, the R128 application is that you can get those answers really, really quickly. When you've played with that for a little bit, the other thing that I would recommend then is to use that to match loudness, which is another question that I often get asked by people, which is, you know, how do we match loudness? And the answer is just to to adjust the level of the track that you're measuring once you know what it measures. So for example, if you if you put a file into one of these programs that we're talking about and it tells you that the integrated loudness, the program loudness is minus 14, and then you put another file in that reads minus 16, you can either turn the quieter file up by two BBs. If you have, if there's enough headroom, if you can do that without causing clipping, safer is to just turn the louder one, the less negative one, the minus 14 one, down to minus 16. So in that case, it's two dBs. If you had one that was minus 10 and one that was minus 16, again, you turn the one that's at minus 10 down by six dBs, and that will have matched the integrated loudness. And hopefully they will sound a similar level. Now, as we said, if it's banjo and synth bass, Maybe they won't, but if they're well-balanced masters or mixes, they probably will sound very similar. And that, incidentally, is exactly how Tidal matches the loudness of the music that they play back. Um, it's how Pandora matched the loudness of the music that they play back. And YouTube and Spotify and Apple Soundcheck all do something similar, although those ones do it slightly differently. Anybody trying to get to grips with loudness units and how they work. There's nothing better than just starting to measure experiment, measure the mixes that you're working on, the masters that you're doing, maybe files that you have in your music collection, and just seeing what kind of numbers you get and, you know, experiment with, you know, well, if I match these two numbers, do they sound similar in loudness to me? In what ways don't they? Chances are, if they don't sound similar after you've matched the numbers, when you compare the EQ, you'll find, as I say, one of them will have more bass or one of them will have more upper mid content. Something like that will explain the differences that you're hearing. Does it happen often to you, John? Would you say that you you get surprised? Well, you know, you, you looking at the meters thinking, well, these should sound the same and they don't? Uh, yeah, especially, you know, mixes that you did on different days or, you know, the first song on the album versus the last song on the album in a mastering context you know they're they're done by the same band same engineer all that stuff when you put it in in a compilation or in a an album mastering process it could vary wildly so uh being able to analyze the, the loudness makes a big difference really speeds up the process um but yeah you, you run into things where maybe half of the songs sound very similar they're in a very similar range for loudness and then there's some other ones that are wildly too quiet or 
too loud and it all has to be balanced out. It does. And actually that brings us nicely to the, the final thing I wanted to mention as part of this topic, um, which was, well, it goes back to what you were saying. You know, these are useful tools. They're very helpful, but they're not infallible. And the one thing that almost certainly won't work for you is to try and master your music to hit a particular integrated loudness value. Lots of people now are aware of the fact that online streaming platforms like Spotify and YouTube and Pandora and Tidal are measuring the loudness of music and making it more consistent. Some of them turn quiet songs up, but all of them turn loud songs down. And lots of people know that the, the exact numbers vary and the exact methods vary from between different platforms. But as a rule of thumb, a lot of them are hovering around the minus 14 LUFS level. So if you slap a loudness meter onto the output of one of these platforms and let it run, check back in about 10 or 15 minutes, you'll probably find the meters hovering somewhere around minus 14, particularly YouTube, Spotify, and Tidal. They're all very close to that. Now, the mistake that I see people making is to think that that means that they should master all of their music at minus 14 LUFS. Um, and that's not true. And to understand why that's not what true, you have to think about what the integrated loudness actually is. So let's imagine uh, two different songs. One of them is a straight ahead heavy rock song. Basically, you know, I'm thinking something like Back in Black by ACDC. You know, it's it's pretty much, I mean, it's a great track, but it's basically one thing, start to end. Uh, same riff, same beat, whole thing, just, you know, kind of hammering through beginning to end. If you put a loudness meter on that and measure it and watch the short-term loudness, um, there's three kinds of loudness measurement, which is another thing that people get confused by. We've talked about the integrated loudness, which is the, this kind of overall number that you get at the end of a song or if you measure a whole file. There's the momentary loudness, which is very fast, um, changes very rapidly. Um, and there's the short-term loudness, which is kind of similar to the RMS um, readings that we were talking about or what a VU meter might give you. It's kind of, it still responds to the music. You'll still see it bounce up and down, kind of depending on what the music that you're hearing is doing, whereas the integrated loudness kind of settles after a while to pretty much constant value. Um, but it's slow enough that uh, it's kind of, it's quite intuitive. I really like it. I watch short-term loudness uh, meters a lot. So in that kind of straight ahead rock tune, it's probably going to be hovering around a similar kind of level all the way through. And you'll probably find that the integrated loudness, the, fi the final measurement, is similar to that. It'll be a dB or two lower, probably, because there's still some variation in the short-term loudness through the song. Um, so it's not like the whole song is flat out full loudness all the way through. So the integrated loudness will be similar, but maybe a dB or two lower. But now if you think of something like Stairway to Heaven, it's kind of the classic example of a song that just builds slowly throughout the whole thing, just gets louder and louder and louder and louder and louder. If you measure the short-term loudness of that song, you're going to see a gradual increase, reflecting that increase of loudness all the way through. Now, when you look at the integrated loudness, the overall loudness measurement at the end, because, I don't know, maybe half the song is probably a lot quieter than it ended up. And because the end of the song is probably uh, quite a bit louder than any other point, 
you know, it kind of accelerates in the in the the loudness towards the end. The integrated loudness is going to be much more than uh, one or two dBs lower than that maximum short-term loudness. Uh, it's a kind of an average value, if you like, over the whole song. So it's probably going to be three, four, five. I should probably do this measurement and check it out. In fact, maybe I'll do that and stick it in the show notes. Yeah, the integrated loudness of that song, the overall reading is going to be a lot lower. I'll pause for a second. Does that make sense? Have I explained that clearly enough? Uh, the integrated loudness is going to be a lower value because it takes into account both the loud part at the end of the song and the long buildup leading up to it. And the short term is doing the last few seconds of whatever was just playing. Right. And the integrated value will be somewhere in between those. Whereas yeah. for something like Back in Black, where it's pretty much a similar loudness all the way through, the short-term loudness and the integrated loudness are probably going to be quite similar okay. because there's a lot less variety. Now, if we imagine, just for the sake of argument, that actually the integrated loudness of those two songs ends up being the same. If you just look at those integrated loudness values, you might think, well, those two songs are going to sound equally loud and are going to sound pretty much similar. Mm-hmm you'd be completely wrong because the integrated loud, or you might be completely wrong because the integrated loudness tells us none of those details about the internal dynamics of those songs. You can't tell just by looking at the raw integrated loudness whether you've got a song that was a similar loudness all the way through or one that had a slow build all the way through. And if you put those two next to each other on a compilation, it might be that they work fine. But I would be surprised. I would expect you'd probably want to turn the overall loudness of Stairway to Heaven up so that the quiet sections are not too quiet in comparison to Back in Black, the, the louder all the way through. I really should have chosen two Led Zeppelin songs, shouldn't I, for this example? <laughs> anyway, at least they're from roughly the same era. Um, yeah. The, yeah, in order for the quiet sections of Stairway to Heaven to not just kind of disappear after listening to Back in Black, say, you probably want to have the loudness of that higher than you might expect just by looking at the raw numbers. And that's an example. I mean, so to use another example, just imagine an album where you have a quiet acoustic guitar and solo voice song and a straight ahead rock tune on the same album. Matching the integrated loudness of those, and they're both pretty consistent all the way through. There's not a huge amount of variety in the loudness, you know, um, if you match the integrated loudness of those two, the chances are the quiet acoustic song will just sound way too loud because musically we want it to be quieter than a full head rock song. Exactly the same thing applies online or anywhere else. That's why you can't master by choosing and saying, oh, I'm going to make everything minus 14 or minus 16 or minus 10 or whatever it is, because that may not be musically appropriate to whatever it is you're working on. That makes sense? That's a really good point. And I, I think people do get caught up on the numbers. I, I've seen people say, just master it to minus 14, keep your peaks at minus one, and you're done. But yeah. it really it really does matter for that particular song and the songs before and after, potentially. Absolutely. I mean, it'll work from a technical sense. You know, they're absolutely right that if you want to meet the, the, the kind of specifications, if you like, then you're going to be safe by picking those numbers and sticking to them. But musically, chances are they won't work. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe if we're mastering singles 
and we're, we want them to be put on YouTube. And we don't want YouTube to normalize them. Those would be the numbers we, we would choose so that we, we're avoiding distortion from uh, the streaming. Plus, we're avoiding the normalization by being within its target value, which is roughly minus 14. Well, that's, in, that's really interesting because I guess, yes, you're right. Well, actually, no. <laughs> because the, tell me more anybody well you're right in the sense that if you're mastering singles and your goal is to get maximum loudness then matching those numbers is a perfectly reasonable way to go but if you have two or three songs that you want to work musically in comparison to each other even in comparison to everything else that's on the service you do better to keep the loudness of the acoustic ballad a little bit lower because um, Tidal and YouTube don't turn quieter songs up, that would retain the musical balance between those two songs. And actually, that is what people, prefer, or most people prefer. It's not to say that aiming for those numbers is always wrong, but it's certainly not always right. If you just aim for the raw numbers, uh, the integrated numbers, then there are definitely going to be cases where Things don't turn out the way you expect. You don't get, you know, you might find what you wanted to be a nice, quiet, gentle song just sounds ridiculously loud, or what you intended to be a really loud song doesn't have the impact that you wanted. And given all of that, I can imagine anybody listening to this would be going, well, what was the point of all of this again? <laughs> you know, you just spent half an hour or whatever it is talking about integrated loudness numbers. Now you're saying they don't work. And that's not what I'm saying. Um, the... Integrated loudness is valuable, but it's not the best way musically of judging loudness for online streaming or for mastering in general. Uh, but Ian, what is the best way to do that? I'm glad you asked me that, John. <laughs> um, totally unprompted. <laughs> exactly. And just on the money. Um, uh, and actually, uh, there's a blog post uh, where I go into this in a lot of detail. We'll put the link into the show notes. But again, I can kind of summarize the process briefly. And in a nutshell, you just pay attention to my favorite measurement, which is the short-term loudness. And what I found, I mean, this was, the, I think, the way really that I was taught to master originally 20-plus years ago, and the way that I've worked ever since also, I mean, it works musically and artistically, and it also works for the online streaming platforms, um, is just to watch the short-term loudness and make sure that the loudest moments of all of the songs that you're working on are consistent. So probably if I was mastering a compilation album with Back in Black and Stairway to Heaven on it, I would probably make, I mean, maybe the very end, the very loudest bit of Stairway to Heaven would be a little bit louder than Back in Black is pretty much all the way through, but not a huge amount. I would keep those two things pretty much consistent. Um, and then I would make sure that the quieter sections of any of those songs that I was working on uh, balanced musically with the loudest sections. So it's not that I ignore the integrated loudness at all, but because you can get different integrated loudness readings depending on the genre or uh, you know the arrangement of the song or just the musical content, um, what I pay attention to is the loudest moments. So my personal rule of thumb is no louder than minus 10 LUFS, short-term loudness, um, at the loudest points of the song, uh, with the peaks at minus one, which is something we've talked about often, uh, just to avoid problems with encoding to MP3 and, and all of those things. Um, 
and that works really well. Um, and I've been, I mean, the great thing, uh, you know, for, for me as somebody who's kind of somewhat obsessed with the whole loudness war issue and loudness in general, um, two or three years ago, you, I'd be saying some of this stuff and people would just be kind of looking at me blankly and going, why do I care about this? Whereas now things have changed. Every day online, I'm seeing people asking, how loud should things be online? And you see somebody come in with the, oh, just hit minus 14 LUFS. And then I pop up and say, actually, that's not always going to work for you. I recommend this instead. And I've had completely positive feedback. You know, I mean, it's worked for me and it's worked for the people who've tried this stuff. So anybody listening to this, I really encourage them uh, to give it a shot. Um, and I'm guessing that's something that you would have found as well, yeah? Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like this has kind of made mastering easier in a little bit. But it's it's easier to get a consistent level uh, between songs and to know what it's going to sound like when it's streaming um, by taking advice from the meters and, you know, <laughs> things like that. So th it's definitely helped. I was going to ask you if it's if it's seems like it's made mastering a little bit easier. I think the getting the balances right between songs without this, it's been a, a challenge. Yeah, well, it's 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 hard for me to say whether it's made it easier or not because so the first thing I was taught as a mastering engineer was to use a VU meter to judge the loudness. And the great thing about a VU meter, which, you know, like I say, is the old-fashioned needle-style meters, they kind of show RMS level. It's not exactly the same, but it's that's the kind of thing they show. So the great thing about a, a VU meter is that you only have 3 dB available above the ideal point. So where you're trying to get your loudness to, if you go more than 3 dB above that, you've pegged the meters, right? And it's so that it's almost kind of it comes naturally. If you set your overall loudness of a song too loud, the meters might look reasonable for the majority of the song. But when you get to the really loud bit, they'll slam and hit the stops. Um, so you turn stuff down. Nobody's kind of specifically said to me, oh, make sure the loudest moments are matched. That's something I've kind of realized over the years that I've done. But it's almost, in, if you're using a VU meter the way it's meant to be used in the sense that you don't peg it, it's almost a natural consequence that you end up doing what I'm describing here, which is making sure that the, because a, a VU meter is kind of showing you the short-term loudness. It's similar. Um, you just naturally don't let it go too high. Um, but on the other hand, chances are you want it to be up near the top of the, the scale for the loudest sections because that that's what feels right. That's what works musically. So, yeah, I've been doing it ever since. I mean, I still use VU meters. Um, you know, anybody who listens to the show regularly will know that. And I would still recommend there's uh, my favorite VU meter plugin. It's the Klanghelm Vumped. VUMT, and we can put a link to that in the show notes. Um, I still like using a VU meter along with a short-term loudness meter and my own plugins. But the, what I can say is this is one of the first things that I teach on the Home Mastering Masterclass course. Um, well over a thousand people have taken that now, and person after person has told me it's one of the most valuable things that they've learned from the course, um, is this idea of calibrating a loudness meter and using it to judge how loud the loudest moments are and then judging everything else musically. I mean, one thing to say is that sometimes you'll get a mix where 
you know, you kind of follow this rule and you make the loudest sections read minus 10 on your short-term loudness meter or however you're going to judge it. And then when it gets to the verse, suddenly the verse sounds too quiet. That's not a signal that you need to turn the whole song up. Um, that could be a signal that either you need to go back to the mix and rethink the dynamic structure of the whole song, or often in mastering, you don't have the option. That's the kind of time where I might use a little bit of automation to just inch up the loudness of the verse a dB or two so that it feels right musically. Or maybe you need to use a bit more compression on the loud sections to kind of hold everything together a bit. And this is the other fascinating thing in terms of working and mastering. When you start to follow this rule and you combine the kind of the musical choices with the technical decision, um, and then you get to the end of the process and you measure the overall loudness <laughs> with a piece of software like the ones we were talking about earlier, you find more often than not, the integrated loudness is between minus 12 and minus 14, maybe minus 16 if it's a really gentle song. So even though you weren't aiming for those figures, you end up in the right ballpark but you end up in the right ballpark and it sounds right musically, uh, which is, you know, the ideal. That's, that's the goal. You want something that conforms technically and works artistically. To summarize the numbers that we're actually using or looking at during mastering, um, sort of as a shortcut, you could try normalizing to integrated levels or analyzing, applying gain to meet that, uh, that middle value that we want. But from song to song, and if we're doing this kind of by ear, we're usually taking the the chorus or the loudest section of the song, and we're looking at the short-term values, and we're matching that. Maybe we're matching the verses with another one, and then we're using automation to uh, to even out any discrepancies there. And, and in previous episode, I think you said a rule of thumb is like 4 dB lower for the verses. To the choruses? That kind of ballpark, yeah. That's also yeah. tends to be the kind of difference you hear between the louder and softer sounds on an album, out of interest. The other thing you can do, uh, we can cut this out if it's too confusing, um, is use the integrated loudness but on short sections. Um, because if you, know, if you imagine you've got some music that's kind of hovering around minus 14 short term and it just does that for 10 seconds and you play that piece of audio or just kind of snip that piece of audio out and measure it, the integrated loudness of that section is going to be roughly minus 14 as well, because the short-term loudness was at that kind of level all the way through, right? The, mm -hmm. the discrepancies between short-term and integrated loudness only happen when there's lots of variety in the short-term loudness over the time that you're measuring it. Um, so if you want a quick and easy way to kind of implement what we're talking about here, you could do worse than just you know, reset the loudness meter, start playing during the loudest section of the song, stop playing before it gets quiet again, and look at the integrated loudness. And if you match that for all of the songs, that would be a great first step. You know, that's going to save you a ton of time in terms of, because, you know, learning to judge loudness by ear and get it right musically it's one of the toughest, it's one of the most important things a mastering engineer does, and it's therefore one of the, the most challenging things there is to learn. One thing you could do is you could measure the integrated loudness of all of the songs and make them all roughly equal, and then listen through and go, okay, now I'm going to choose to turn this one up by a couple of dBs and this one down by a couple of dBs. That's one or way less. to do it. Probably or less. Probably less. Yep. Let, let's say I've got one song, I'm pretty happy with it, and then I want to compare it with another song. I mean, in terms of listening and in terms of levels, what I do is I just glance at the waveform 
which gives me an idea of where the loud sections are. And then I skip directly from the loud section of one song to the loud section of the other song. And I listen and I look at the meters. And if one of them sounds louder than the other, then I adjust. Or if one of them reads louder than the other, then I think, do I want to adjust this? Over time, as you build up experience, it's got to the point now where I, uh, well, when I first started out mastering, everything came in on tape. So you had no choice but to, I mean, you could you could fast forward blindly and look for the loud bits, but the best thing to do was just kind of sit there and play the whole song through and listen to it. And I still think that's a good thing to do when you're mastering, just to hear, you know, how the song evolves, how it works musically, uh, where it's going to go. You've got a shortcut when you're working in a DAW because you can probably see visually where the loudest section of the song is. Even these days, I tend to just start playing from the beginning of the song and adjust the loudness by instinct. But that's kind of having learned these lessons from having done this stuff over time and, and had these meters and used these meters and learned what they what they mean. Um, if somebody's just getting started on this, yeah, a great tip is to jump to the loudest section, play it back, listen to it, and, and take a reading of the meters. And short-term integrated, they'll be similar, providing the loudness is fairly constant. Um, and try matching those numbers. Um, and the interesting thing is, like I say, the the integrated loudnesses tend to fall out in that case. Like if I measure a, a single loud song, um, the integrated loudness might be as high as minus 10, minus 11, if it's really loud all the way through. Um, if I take another song where the loudest section is up at minus 10, but it's more varied, then the integrated loudness might be minus 12 or it might be minus 14 or even as low as minus 16. But all of those are going to work musically online. Or on a CD. Or on a CD, absolutely. The nice thing for me is I haven't had to change anything. You know, I'm, I'm now offering these guidelines as recommendations for people who want to achieve stuff on online streaming services, because that's the question that everybody's asking me. But it's the same advice as it always was. You know, it was the same advice as when there were no online streaming platforms. And it was the same advice. It was what I was told to do when I was a trainee. That's the good thing, is that the numbers that we have in the streaming services now, I mean, you could argue that maybe there should be a couple of dBs lower, and maybe over time there will be. That'll make that'll help things work on a wider range of musical styles, like classical and film music and all the rest of it. But as they stand, for the majority of pop and rock music, you've got enough freedom and enough room in the specification to just do what sounds musically right and it to work from a technical aspect as well. So, you know, the integrated loudness kind of just falls out to be about right when you follow these rules. And that, that's the reason I like it. Cheers. <laughs> what was that sound? <laughs> it was the clink of my ring on my whiskey glass. <laughs> <laughs> Which means it must be time for the mastering maxim. You're absolutely right. Um, and again, th this, this is one of those episodes where it's not really going to surprise anybody who's listened this far. Uh, the maxim is to find a way of measuring loudness and start paying attention. Uh, you know, it could be an application like RX or Reaper or the the, the free R128X-GUI application. Maybe there's a PC equivalent of that, hopefully. Or it could just be getting a loudness meter, putting it on your mix, your master, and starting watching what's going on. The, the kind of the quicker you can get into that learning process and start connecting the numbers that you see with what you hear and understanding how the changes that you make the quicker you're going to get to grips with the whole thing. Hopefully, if you've listened to this episode by now, it won't all kind of seem maybe as mysterious or confusing 
as it used to. I mean, that's an interesting thing. Somebody said to me the other day, they still find, or they find all of these things that I'm always talking about confusing. And I, I kind of thought, well, but it's really not that confusing. It's simple. You just make sure the short-term loudness doesn't go above minus 10. I mean, how hard is that? And the, the thing that I realized is that what gets confusing is trying to explain to people why. <laughs> I'm saying this. I'm the last person in the world who would say, Ian, do this and don't ask why. I mean, that's just asking for trouble. <laughs> There's no way I'm going to do that. But basically, that's what I'm saying to you guys out there. You know, if you want the easy life, try following that rule and see where it takes you. Um, and my experience is, and the people who've taken the course and, and the feedback I get is, over time, you will come to realise, you know, I mean, I didn't invent this. This was something that was taught to me. This is something that was handed down from the guys who were cutting vinyl way back in the in the in the early days of mastering. It's it works, you know, and it's one of the most powerful things you can do uh, to improve the results of what you're doing. So, um, yeah, start measuring loudness, start paying attention. You still got to use your ears, but these are incredibly valuable tools. So there we go. Hopefully uh, that helped people. The, the intention was to keep it simple. And as always, there turned out to be a ton of information there. As always, I hope that wasn't too overwhelming for you if you're listening to this hoping for the simplicity well you can always hit us up with some questions send us a message on facebook or twitter we're always happy to try and help if we can we may not always be able to reply personally but we read all of the comments on youtube and everywhere else all the emails and they do feed into uh, what we decide to do in future shows so um thank you to everybody who's doing that anyway uh, if you enjoyed the show and found it useful please uh, go to themasteringshow.com forward slash review and leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Uh, we really appreciate that. It's a great way of keeping the profile of the podcast active and helping more people find us so that we can help more people, which is the goal. John, thank you very much for helping me with this <laughs> apparently simple but not so simple topic again. <laughs> As always. Yeah, no problem. Uh, thank you to Kaylee Law for letting us use his music. And John, thank you for in advance for editing and mixing the show and thank you for listening. <laughs>